cliffcentral.com. It is time for the burning platform, cliffcentral.com, Thursday morning. This is where we get to check out all the important stuff that's happened in the week. We get to ca- uh, catch up with the, the political goings on, and there are a lot of those. We have a new public protector. Did you see that? Absolutely. Very exciting. She's the one and who Glynis the- Breitenbach accused of sleeping away to the top. <laughs> that was that was such a you know that was such a devastatingly low point for Glynis. I don't. And she didn't I don't agree. need it. I don't agree. She, I think this uh, no. is how the ANC works. It is an organization where you sleep your way to the top. It's happened for so Listen, many. Oh, Glynis please. did not need that. She did not need to be I in that bandwagon. But also, this is in the level comedy, of our politics. Sitting next to Glynis Breitenbach in the committee now mm. is going to be Faitam Kwebane. Mm. So next time, exciting times. Next time, the public protector, the new public protector, goes to account to Parliament yeah, to the standing be committee. Busisiwe she's there. going to be talking to Busisiwe. Fantastic. Oh. We're just not a serious country, are we? It's unbelievable. Speaking of not being a serious country, the Burning Platform is also where we get to interrogate a bunch of really, really important subjects. Now, occasionally, we can get pulled into nonsense. And very often in this country, we are distracted quite easily by nonsense. So our guest this morning is exactly the opposite, no-nonsense person. Ivor Chipkin is the co-founder and director of the New South Institute, the NSI. He was the founder and director of the Public Affairs uh, Research Institute at the University of Edvardisrand and the University of Cape Town for 10 years before that, back in 2017. Uh, Chipkin, along with several colleagues, wrote and released the Betrayal of the Promise Report, which is a study of state capture that had an enormous political impact on South Africa. He's the author of Do South Africans Exist? A great question. I'm not sure we've answered that in the ensuing years. And Shadow State, the Politics of State, Ca- state Capture with Mark Swilling. So I welcome to the studio today, Iva Chipkin. Very good to see you, Iva. Thank you for coming. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thank yeah. you. No, nice, nice to have you here. Are you excited? Are you excited? What's, ex- what's exciting? Are you excited well, about the medium-term budget, Ivor? Tell us. No, and I'm really excited about us having to follow a segment on penis size <laughs> where I'm um, thinking what we're going to talk about. Jeez, uh, how are we going to compete with that? I uh, think, I think is- what you are actually excited about, if you don't mind me bringing on something that you dropped into the conversation just before we started, is that you're off Twitter which is p- primarily for your own sleeping uh, patterns, your mental health. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a very wise thing. Yeah, really, do. I've left it all together. I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't, couldn't bear it anymore. Uh, you, you, you can't tell the difference between what, what is sensible and what is complete made-up uh, nonsense yeah, and what, is, the, what are bots are, 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 are. We're in the post-truth era now. That's what they keep saying, right? Yeah, and no. there's a constant sense, there's a constant stream of stuff. You think oh, so the next thing might might be important, might yeah. be important. Yeah, yeah, drawn, yeah. and I just couldn't sleep anymore, so I I, I just cancelled. And I have to tell you something, my sleeping's improved, and I feel much better. I'm delighted yeah, to hear it. Thank you Good. very much. We first always like to check in on our guests <laughs> to make sure so my sleeping's better, <laughs> feel much better. There well, we are. There we're we very happy thank for you it. so much. So let's just talk quickly about what what your day to day work is, and particularly the work that you've been involved in recently, which is doing real things on a policy level, which most of us imagine are only the province of politicians. So just explain a little bit of that to people so we can have some idea starting right off. So the idea really is this, that South Africa, like like all countries, face very, very major challenges, whether it's in the economy, whether it's in social services, whether it's in the organization of government itself. Which I'm going to resist the, 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 the temptation to be sarcastic. At this no, point. don't be sarcastic. Uh, be sarcastic. Uh, 
huge challenges. And most countries, what they do is realizing that these are complex issues, difficult to solve. They have uh, various kinds of enterprises, think tanks, universities, combinations of the two, which spend a lot of time trying to think about the modalities of how to solve these problems, but mm -hmm. not not academically, practically. Yeah. So you've got a you've got unemployment. How do you deal with those unemployments? And then and develop policies and mm -hmm. proposals. And the, these then hopefully filter into the political the political debate. And parties then develop their their approaches or their manifestos or, or their policies themselves based on the circulation of ideas. This is how it's supposed to work. And in South Africa, it was working mm. like that from th in the 1990s. Uh, the presidency had a very effective and powerful policy unit under Joel Nechatenze. I was going to was say that Lutuli House used to have some big really, thinkers there. there were, and there was there was a lot there were a lot of there was a, the, the space was really dynamic, mm. uh, uh, robust debates, lots of fighting over economic policy, but over all sorts of things. Uh, the stuff that was coming out was some some of it was good. Mm. Um, uh, some of it was bad, but nonetheless, it was a real contestation of ideas. And and there was public participation. There which was, was crucial there really was. Too. It really was. I mean, everyone, no. it was kind of free-for-all. And there was lots at, of engagement. At what stage is public participation most effective? Is it in the the initial draft stages where people are asked to comment in the Government Gazette, for example? Or is that already too late? No, I think it's, at this, it's in this kind of space. It's a sense that uh, the general level of public conversation takes on board quite the kind of the 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 the, the nuts and bolts questions of, right. of the day. It's not at this. So the conversation in the political conversation doesn't remain at this very high abstract level. Yeah. That we get that the, the the general maturity of political conversation is to tackle the, the nuts and bolts, so that you can actually evaluate when you hear a politician sprouting what are kind of general general proposals. You can ask the politician, yeah, yeah, great, sounds lovely, sounds lovely, uh, um, economic freedom for everybody. Right, how are we going to do it? Yeah. And are those proposals meaningful? Okay, so you're going to nationalize the the, 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 the banks or the, 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 bank the mines. The okay, land. all this sort of stuff. Okay, but it's great, love it, love it, let's do it. But let's see, how, what are the institutions? Okay, who's going to own them? How are those going to be run? How are they going to be administered? Who's going to have the power to make the... And so, do you feel there is a practical understanding of these things, or is so much of it still absolutely abstract and ideological. So what happens is, the 1990s, I think this is developing. Uh, mm. It really is. And you see it in, in all sorts of areas. I mean, take policing, for example. Yeah. In the 1990s, after the transition, there's a very, very dynamic engagement around how to structure the police. Really, quite amazing stuff going on. The academic papers, the seminars, the conferences that include a whole variety of stakeholders, including the police themselves. And the stuff is working. I know, I know there's a general suspicion in South Africa around academics and of, of, of uh, policy wonks and stuff well, like that. Well, quite rightly, because a lot of them have caused most of our problems. Yes. Yeah. Well, That's let's come back to that. No, I'm not sure I agree with you there. It's fair I think too. It's these, the, these are the abstract thinkers. These are precisely the non-practical people you're talking about. But it's because the conversation drifts away from, from the practical stuff. But in the early 1990s, take policing. That's always going to happen when you bring theoreticians and academics into conversation. They're never going to be practical. Now, most of them have never done earned a practical cent in their lives. They are... Tenured. No, but you know, and I, and I hear what I was saying. I was saying that the conversation has to happen everywhere at all levels. So there may be people who are theoreticians 
who yeah. are academics, who are driving a particular way of thinking about stuff. But at the same time, uh, somewhere else in another space, in another room, in the you know, so when you have seminars, when you have conferences, when you have all of these kinds of things but happening, most of it's just them. Somebody's got to think about it. But Gareth. they're blowing smoke up each other's asses in many of these situations. And no. the, well, and the more and the more theoretical they get, the more likely they also are to be on the extreme left or extreme right because those are not practical thinking people. But for as long as the rest of us, you know, civic participation is then left only to those individuals. If the people like us who are affected on a day-to-day level are not part of any of these kinds of conversations, and I think where we started this particular mm. train of thought was around the fact that public participation is a very important part of of moving the thinking forward into a place okay. of policy. All right. yeah, I so, would agree entirely with that. Because what happens if you don't have this public... So what public participation does is it grounds those what you're calling abstract mm. academic debates into, into the practical. Sure. Right. So, yes, so have these abstract debates, the character of the political economy, walla, walla, walla. Mm. Okay, so what for the here and now? How does that mean for service delivery, for electricity? And we now realize more and more that allowing politicians and, 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 and others to have these ab- abstract debates behind closed doors has huge consequences for practical for practical for practical matters. Oh, but but Ivor, wasn't there a very cozy relationship in that world? Because these people, for, first of all, feel like they're the architects of the future, and you know the art of the possible, which Tabombeki used to refer to all the time as being his main <laughs> motivator. I mean, that's that could be in in a in a benevolent world. Those could be very good things. But we know that the average South African also is completely apathetic to these things or ignorant of them. So the average South African doesn't know to participate. And that, Gareth, right? that, Gareth, is part of the reason why earlier in the last hour when we were talking about cutting back on public spending in terms of education, I said to you, it is a fucking bad idea. Because how can we today have less educated, less informed citizens than when there was apartheid? How is it that in oh, apartheid we were able to that have is, people that is like a Walisirote? We were but, able to create people that, like a Walisirote. And today we are... I'll tell you who's fault. Because we keep cutting back on, on but, the me, budget of education. I would jump in here if you want to. And then allowing idiots okay, but who, to we become know who's, the minister and not sure, engaging them about we, how these things work. We know who's not to blame for our revolting education outcomes. We know who's not to blame for that. It's certainly not the students themselves. It's certainly not the taxpayers. And it's certainly not the parents in this case, the educational institutions and the people who are proffering this education to the students and the people who administer that system are entirely to blame. No? So, I mean, I think, listen, I think um, this is a, it's a complex field. What the, what the, what the answers are, I'm not <laughs> quite spend, sure. We spend per capita more than any other country almost on education and we get the worst results. Look, How? One, one bit of research that I've read, which is shocking and will shock you as well, is that relative to the apartheid period, things are much better in education. So to give you a sense of just how that they're actually bizarrely Jesus. enough, we must have been horrific. I before. think we were horrific before, and I okay, think, but that's um, that's small small comfort that, to the young it, person trying to get a job. Sure, sure. But I think uh, well, you put your, to the sixty five percent who don't make it through the education system. <laughs> so I think you the, the, the I think you put your finger on something very important. This is why that conversation about policy was is was you know spiraling off into the, into the wrong direction. Because in the end, 
what it comes down to in many cases is administration. And this is a word that is very, very unpopular in South Africa. It's like, you know, you say the word at public administration and everyone yawns. Oh, God. Um, yawn, yawn, yawn. And yet so much of what goes wrong and goes right in some cases in South Africa, like, like the Springbok rugby uh, victory, has got a lot to do with administration. Mm. Yes, yes, it's the talent of the players, the genius of yeah, the coaching, sure. etc. But ultimately, there's a machine underpinning it, yes. uh, which requires the training, the consistency, the allocation of resources, and all of that is around administration. And actual people of merit. Absolutely, absolutely. Putting good people into the right positions uh, and getting them to do an, in, in, in a structured manner. That is, really what is, that is really what an institution is. And that is the area where we've absolutely failed in South Africa, to pay attention to institutions, to, to administration. And this is where I think this is where pol- public policy and all the stuff can, you know, having our good ideas is one thing, but embedding them in administrations is w- absolutely what is needed. And this is where South Africa has gone really, really wrong. But, but there's also, let me just finish on this point, this is where there's enormous hope for South Africa because it's this is something that you can still do. And in this regard, there is – I'm very optimistic, but bizarrely enough. Mm. There are very, very good things currently on the table. Okay. Some of them are in parliament uh, around, around taking – ideas and embedding them in actual administrative changes. And these are this is what I'd like to talk about. Let's talk yeah. about that because I was going to mm. say, how do we get better at that? Because I do agree with you. South Africa has some really good ideas, but we're really bad at implementation. Well, I think at the root of all of this, there is that question of merit because the ANC is directly, ideologically, and, and, and institutionally opposed to the idea of putting good people in good places because it's a network of thieves and a catered deployment system. Okay. Right? Ivor, you were saying. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, <laughs> no, is really. that not at the heart of the problem? But, but you, well, have, then, you have bad administrators because they actually don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, I, mean, I think it's part of, <clears throat> it's an element of the problem. It's not the full extent of the problem, though. Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a, I don't is it know. not the <clears throat> disease instead of Wait, a symptom? Let, finish. Uh, let him finish I'm his thoughts. i to understand. So I think those are, if you don't mind me saying, I think those are, those are answers that are too quick to come. That's those are ready at hand. Everyone's stupid and incompetent, and if we get rid of all the stupid and incompetent well, people, then everything will be running fine. Well, I'd rather ascribe it, it to incompetence Let's than to malice. No, not malice. I think there are a whole lot of quite complicated issues here, which mm. can be resolved quite simply. Well. Right. Not simply, but they, are, okay, they can be so resolved. Let's, they let's are their talk solutions. about that. So let let's me, talk let me, about let me, that. Let me tell you one. And this is a mistake that many countries have made. This is the mistake of the US political system until the 1920s, until uh, they changed the law in 1883, the, the Pendleton Act, but they only implemented them in, 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 in the 20s. You, you've all heard of Tammany Hall politics. Mm. No. Tammany Hall politics was where so the, essentially the competition between the Republicans and the Democrats. When the Republicans won, they fired the whole civil service and they brought in their members. So the famous stories of the post office, 50,000 workers. If the Republicans won the election, they would fire all the 50,000 Democratic uh, postal workers and they'd bring in 50,000 Republican workers. And when the Democrats Democrats won the election, they would fire all the 50,000 Republican workers and bring in 50,000 Democrats. Like so it was catered a deployment. It was catered on steroids you know, mm. across, across the states. Of course, this was dysfunctional for modernizing the states. And from the 1920s, they start implementing these reforms, which require you know, that you can't – the political parties don't have that kind of control. So this is the moment that we're at in South Africa. And I'll give you, this is the situation. So we have always had a highly politicized public administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is through the apartheid period. uh, th- you know, with the Brudderborn to the back door. Uh, mm. Ostensibly, we had a, merit, a, a public service appointed on, on, on the ba- grounds of merit, but actually there was the political back door through the Brudderborn and a whole range of other mechanisms. Sure. 
The great tragedy of South Africa after 1994 is that we don't end those practices. We don't depoliticize the public administration. We don't professionalize it uh, in that kind of way. We keep those practices going on, but we but we legalize them. We passed something called the Public Service Act of 1994. Have a look at it. I'm not making this up. Have a look at Section 3 of the Public Service Act. It's there in our books. It's not cadre deployment. It's a problem. It's our foundational piece of legislation. What does the Public Service Act of 1994 say? Section 3. It gives the president and it gives ministers and MECs at provincial power, at provincial government, powers over two things, two fundamental things. Quite incredible. Power to recruit, to recruit public servants. Uh, so all recruitment is a political matter. <laughs> and discretion over operational decisions in departments. <laughs> Unbelievable. So that's not like cardinal deployment. That's like uh, politicians abusing their roles. That is what the law allows them to do. Some politicians realize that they don't have the competency to, to, to make those sorts of decisions and they delegate it to their senior officials. But many, many politicians like that kind of power and they interfere like mad in recruitment and in operational decisions, producing, which is one of the great um, – the great uh, misnomers of, of of South African political language, what the what the what the NDP National Development Plan called the tensions in the political administrative interface. <laughs> what does it really mean? That politicians were 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 interfering in the work of director generals and H in, and, and heads of departments. This and, is what yeah. Porsche Darby says. My problem is the shareholder and ministerial interference. So this is one of the key issues. It was the, it's it, it what allowed state capture to happen because the minister and the president, in this case the president Zuma, in the, at the end of the day, he could have make appointments in key positions. It wasn't that he was abusing his, his legal authority. He had that legal authority to put to make appointments of boards of state and enterprises, for example, or to or to change the Minister of Finance and, and, and to make decisions around the and, around senior staff. He had that power. So we've written that power into our law. Hmm. What we've been saying, what I've been saying is change the law. Get rid of the Public Service Act or at least that section of the law. Um, so here's what's really exciting, and this is why you know we sometimes have the wrong conversation. And Gareth, I'm going to I'm going to point my finger at you in this regard. Go on. If we constantly go on about around around ineptitude and 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 stupidity and corruption, etc., we obscure the fact that where the heart of the problem is. So the heart of the problem, we need a legislative change. We need to redo the Public Service Act, and then amazingly, there is. Quite progressive public servants in the Department of Public Service Administration, they're not all stupid and corrupt, um, have developed a draft piece of legislation, which a bill, which is in Parliament now. It's called the Public Service Amendment Act. Okay. Public Service Amendment Bill, sorry. And what does it do? It suggests changing the the, the powers which uh, politicians have over recruitment and over and over and over operational decisions. But it's are the politicians ready to give up all that power? So that is why this sort of space, you're, the space that you've got, is so important. This is why we need to bring the public into these. Let them let them know about it. Let them get upset or excited about the possibility. Let them ask questions to political parties. Do you support the Public Service Amendment Bill? Uh, what are you doing in Parliament to support it or, 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 or get it through? Let this start, let's start having this kind of conversation. Not, not so that it's secluded amongst a couple of you know, uh, uh, policy wonks behind, uh, behind closed doors. Let this become a general conversation and this is why I'm very pleased to be here. Well, that's also, um, that's with, with all the love in the world, that's also why I came at it from this point of view. This is the popular opinion. And I must put these things to you so that you can also put it right in a public sphere where people can now hear it and those ignorant people or those people who've chosen to be apathetic can now join in this conversation. So this is tremendous. What are the actual chances of this bill being passed into law? So that's, that's, the, big, that's the big challenge. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm skeptical that the ANC has, even though, <clears throat> even though 
ostensibly this is something they should support. I'm not sure as a political party they <clears throat> they are ready to give up this other, the kind of control that they currently exercise. I think they're quite addicted to it. So I'm not sure that they are going to they're going to push it through. Uh, this is where we've been working with opposition political parties <clears throat> across the board because we don't want to make this a, an, uh, a, an issue which is which is an, of a particular opposition party. Mm. Uh, we don't want to politicize in that way, but we want opposition parties to to take this up in their manifestos. But this should be a public <clears throat> part of the public conversation. So, I think if we if we build the momentum, if we get ordinary people behind these changes, then I think there's some chance that political parties could potentially realize that if they don't support these issues, it potentially has electoral consequences either in 2024 or But they or, or don't have forward. the numbers. Even we, if you've got every single opposition pie party in the sky. today, that's in parliament today, behind these kind of amendments in the way that you want it, they just don't have the numbers to pass it through. So <clears throat> I would... I would I would share your skepticism you. normally, but we've had a huge shift, and it's been happening since 2016. But it's really, <clears throat> sorry, it's really hit the. <clears throat> Some water for you. Go for it. Go Thank for you. it. You, you, you can take a breathing yet. We <laughs> do have time. Uh, yeah, you know, know, the nice thing about this show, Ivor, is we have lots of time. We can we can even go on after eight if we feel like it. Ask for me. We've done it. Is this before. a way of very politely saying that I'm speaking too quickly? No, we love it. No, uh, we love the way your pace is <clears throat> great. And what you're speaking about, you're <clears throat> speaking about. <clears throat> passionately, which also, I mean, I don't know a lot of people who can speak passionately about <laughs> policy or about bills that are waiting before Parliament. But really and truly, is it at all possible, you talked about the practical stuff just now, to get this passed with only opposition party support and especially with most of the opposition parties uh, signing on, but perhaps one or two not doing that, you critically lose any kind of uh, opportunity to make a change. Yeah, I don't think so. But and this is this is this is I think this is key really and this is something we have to watch and this is why I think it's up to all of us to start having these conversations at home and and, and amongst friends and especially amongst in, in in political circles. What's definitely definitely been happening and it's finally caught up with them is the ANC has been losing electoral support on the basis of its performance in government. It started in 2016 but it's really um, really, the chickens have come to roost. Is that the is that come the home to roost? Come, come home to roost. roost. Sorry, I'm not very good with idioms. Don't worry, I screwed up two or three <laughs> yeah, this so, morning. Okay, well, you're in good company with guys. Oh, great! Today. So we can mix yeah. idioms to, to to our heart's content. Brilliant. There's another one. Um, <laughs> so the ANC is now seriously losing electoral support on the basis of its on the on performance of government. Before, I don't think I don't think performance in government was an electoral issue for most South Africans. They voted for the ANC for other other sorts of reasons. <clears throat> but I think. And what this means within the ANC itself, there are many, many people, including um, the Minister of Finance, by, by the way, you were, you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was recently this weekend at the Halemo Atlante Foundation conference in, in, in the Drakensberg, which brings together quite an impressive crowd of people, yeah. uh, many linked or have historic links to the ANC. And the overriding message was <clears throat> underpinning so many of South Africa's problems are, are problems of government. So the, the message is getting home in key circles. And I think even within the African National Congress, which means within the ANC itself, there are unambiguously, there are some people in the ANC who are realizing that in order for the ANC to survive going forward, even in this election, they need to start fixing government. And what this means is even within the ANC, there is an openness for the first time in a long time to questions of policy. So I think it's possible if we are able to succeed in getting this on the agenda politically, Okay. That we could get get this through, but I, I'm still a little skeptical, and it's it's not just the ANC that I'm 
worried about, right? <coughs> it is also all of the other smaller guys that are waiting in the wings, as it were. And I think one of the, the biggest um, threats that a lot of people kind of look at, and it's one of the, the parties and their particular line that they are pushing, is really the EFF and their view on how getting into government, what that means for them. And I use what we've been watching with the local um, the local sphere, right? So in the metros, if you look at what's happened in, in the past couple of days in Eteguini, right? they are not willing to let go of that kind of power because they are just waiting for their chance and how, to how be about, in that kind of power. And how about you mentioned uh, Busisiwe Mkwebane earlier? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, by, by appointing her as quickly as she was gotten rid of as public protector, they've also shown that they are absolutely in favor of keeping uh, bad people in. That's certainly on their agenda. So I think there's a huge part of our political culture which is quite hostile to the idea that the public administration must be autonomous. We're not talking about independent or neutral. We're talking about just autonomous. In other words, that they're not governed or controlled by politicians directly, that you allow some degree of professionalism in, into the public service. Hosti- that's, it's anathema. That's really the kind of – That's really anathema the, to them. So, and some of it is some of it is not just personal. There's, you know, the, you know, some parties which have a, 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 a an attachment to certain a certain uh, Marxism Leninism, for example. Marx and Lenin were were, were were hostile to this <laughs> idea of an autonomous right. public service. Yes, they uh, they believed that this was a, a way in which uh, they're looking to push a party line. They're saying our party's policies are X and we want everybody in the public service to push the party line. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And they, they believe, I think, completely incorrectly that that is the best way of, impl- of, of, of pursuing the party line. Mm-hmm. It's fine for parties to have party lines. That, that's what parties do. They have their lines. That's mm-hmm. what they're supposed to have. But whether every public servant should then be a party activist, that's that that that's the that's the nub of the problem. And this is how we've been construing it in South Africa. What you need to accept is that you can have a the best way to implement your party's policies is by having an administration which is not a party linked uh, that is best able to interpret your policies and then find the best way to 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 uh, implement them. Ironically enough, it's by having not having your party people inside the administration that is probably the best way of having your your your, your policies implemented. But so that's it requires a mind shift. You but, uh, also talk about our political culture here in South Africa, if you consider that the political culture here in South Africa has been really starting in 94 about the fact that this party comes into power to change policy because for whatever, you know, so they, at the time, the ANC comes in and says a better life for all, right? So we want to come in, we want to change policy for a better life for all. And their fear is that in the public service, if they don't have their people, they're going to get pushback in terms of changing all of these things to make sure that there's a better life for all. If you think about the EFF, they're about what land and jobs for everyone. And their fear is that if they come in and they have ANC people, they're going to get pushback and they're not going to get their policies. Yeah, I think that's great. But I think that it was a little bit, the, the situation was a bit slightly more mixed in, in the transition. So on the one hand, I think overwhelming, that's why we got the Public Service Act, uh, where the ANC were very nervous of, you know, there'd been these, um, what do they call them, um, um, the settlement of the, of the transition, which allowed for... Um, uh, existing civil servants to keep their jobs, the sunset clauses. Um, mm. And the ANC was very nervous that these 
apartheid-era public servants or Bantustan public servants as well were not in a position, would mm. not be, would be hostile or would resist the implementation of, of ANC policies. And they thought the way to deal with that was, they couldn't fire them because of the sunset clauses, was to be able to appoint their own people into key positions. Mm-hmm. Made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. Made sense at the time. Um, so I think that, that was the, the logic that informed, informed, informed the politicization. So, but at the very same time, there were key parts of the state, like, for example, the National Treasury, where what you saw was increasingly meritocratic autonomous administrations. This is, I think, one of the great great achievements of Trevor Manuel, was to start realizing that, you, first of all, the ANC just didn't have enough people in its own ranks to staff all the administrations, that you needed to start relying on non-ANC people. And, and, the, and, and the way to rely on them was to make sure that these were skilled, meritocratic, these were skilled, experienced people. So what you started seeing in some departments under ANC control, the professionalization of these administrations. And it's those professional administrations that have really carried us. I mean, what was at the heart of resisting state capture? It was the National Treasury. Uh, and, and who was it there? It wasn't just, it, yes, some of them were political ANC cadres, but it was also professional administrators standing up for professional standards in, in, in the way in which you operated. And that's really what uh, what was at the, at the, the backbone of the resistance against the state capture years, in the, against state capture. This is my, my, my analysis of what Jacob Zuma was. Jacob Zuma was fundamentally threatened by this, this, this tendency towards professionalization and a, a, a desire to keep direct party political control of administration so that he could he could manipulate things the way he wanted. And this is what we saw in South Africa, which is the great tragedy. A growing, an emerging, an emerging professionalization through the 1990s into the early 2000s, uh, a modernization, if you like, of the South African state. Um, a very, very uneven, very, very uneven. Let's not, let's not, let's not go too far, but definitely a tendency in that direction stamped out. In uh, uh, under Jacob Zuma in the state capture years, and, and we and, and we have not recovered from that. Okay, well that's the so, important but, follow up. But, Sorry, I just want to point out like no improvements since then. But we we also, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Treasury right is actually the place where we can. I agree with you that there were professionals in all sorts of places, and we saw this with the people that came and testified at state capture, who were steadfast holding the line, as it were, against all of the state capture, right? But, you know, I think when we think about Treasury and kind of the genius of Trevor Manuel, we also have to look at the fact that the genius of Trevor Manuel is really we are now at the back end of that genius where we have the most unequal society in the world, the genius of Trevor Manuel. But also I'm interested to know Trevor. I think you could lay that at his feet. (laughs) Can you? Yeah, I think that's a little yeah. harsh. We can blame him for many yeah, things, many but I things. think uh, the like huge inequality, I think that's… one uh, tr- Jacob Zuma for state capture? Um, no. Let's I, pick one guy. No, but this is why I made the point that it hasn't improved since we got rid of Jacob Zuma, and it's been a, it's been a sizable amount of time since then. But Nothing I, has got better under Cyril Ramaphosa in terms of professionalism of the public service, if that's our window on South Africa. Or a really a change or a stop to the well, state capture. Yeah. Where, where, what has happened, though, is that he seems to have given some space to people like Mashupi Masiru Mule, who's in the NDP, a uh, very talented academic, Busanin Mhaweni at the National School of Government, to start pioneering some, some of these reforms. These are slim pickings. <laughs> yeah, it's simply, <laughs> but they're there. And so what you have is this, this bill in, in Parliament. You also have what they call the professionalization framework, which is an attempt to say... There's, um, uh, 
I realize when you, when, as I say this, you'll start looking at me and you realize just how strange the person I am and in, in, who's in your studio. Because one of the great achievements in public service reform globally is the introduction of, of, of a um, of an entrance exam into the public service. It's one of the kind of absolute minimum standards of, 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 of modernizing the state. South Africa doesn't have one. Uh, the professionalization framework proposes introducing a very uh, introducing one one of the very very low bar, but nonetheless a, a minimum a minimum minimum. We'll uh, take test. what we can get. <laughs> minimum minimum <laughs> test. It's pretty 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 important stuff. And Busani gets to uh, set the test. <laughs> yes, Busani oh literally God. literally national school of government would, would set the test. Uh, so uh, <laughs> nonetheless, these are these sound like crazy nothings, but they're actually huge things in the global scheme of things. When you're talking about how states emerge, how states modernize, these really are important. These are important things. Ivor, you made an example with America in the 20s and that they had and pushed this reform. I'm very interested to know how, what the changeover was like for them and how they got that right. So the American political system is, is the, the, the system is, is, is more politicized than, say, the British or the, or the French system. But essentially what they start to do is they start professionalizing uh, a core component of their civil service. In other words, that for certain categories of employment in the, in, in the American civil service, you need to come through. Uh, you need to come through various schools of administration. You need to have passed this entrance exam, and you need to come up and th up through government, through civil, civil, through um, through government departments, through the civil service itself. You can't just arrive from the outside and take leadership of 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 of, of, of an entity. So what you start having from the 1920s in particular is the growing professionalization of, of the American civil service. That not just, You can't just have political appointments in key positions in, in, in government administrations, which is what we currently have. And what you start having through the 1920s associated with America becoming a major superpower is the development of America's civil service and professionalizing the civil service so that it can undertake uh, huge kinds of uh, the, the New Deal, for example, uh, building of dams, the development of its military is so strongly linked to, 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 the, to these reforms. But growth of the, the, the capability of the state in, in, in many areas are strongly linked to, to the breaking of the Tammany Hall system. It's the same in the UK in the, in, in, in the end of the 19th century. France, the end of the Second World War, France is broken at the end of the Second World War. They introduce all these reforms. They bureaucratize the system. They introduced the École Nationale d'Administration, which is the school, the national school of government, essentially. They introduced the school, the system where, in order to enter the public service, you have to have gone through the, the national school of government, the the uh, 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 They professionalize their their administration. Every time you say national school of government, I'm oh. just thinking, <laughs> and and I know you you like held up Busani as one of you, of your beacons, but I'm just thinking he is also dyed in the wool. His blood is black, green, and gold. And he gets to set the test. What about like DA people that come and write the test that he set? Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to be it's, referring it's to... It's open so, for abuse. And they're probably going to be referring to China as the ideal model here. So, right? We know listen, that this is increasingly what they're trying to do. Uh, say, look at how well China runs on this, this terrible ideology. But the, of course, they've no... And this man idolizes China. I, uh, there, and, I, and, there and, I would agree. I would say that there needs to be... Um, uh, I think China is definitely the model in his mind. Uh, party control. It's the only um, one. So, as I've said, there are several pieces to the puzzle here. His is one piece of the puzzle. But if you take his piece of the puzzle with the proposed changes from the from the public the amendment to the public service uh, amendment bill, 
Then you've got uh, then you've got removing the discretion of politicians in the appointment process and in operational decisions. That's pretty important. You've also got uh, then uh, through Busani's proposed reforms, uh, increasing professionalization of people, improving their skills and, and, and selection on the basis of merit. That's that's the second piece. The third piece is the accountability of public servants, which is not there currently, yeah. um, but which, which we can talk about. And there, there's been a, a real, real stuff up in the organization of government, especially since the mid-1990s, which we can discuss. But... But what I'm saying is that currently on the table, which no one knows about, there are two pieces of the puzzle, uh, two important pieces of the puzzle. Can they be better? Absolutely. Can the can the puzzle be bigger, more complex? Sure, uh, let's not get stuck new, though, Can no. the colors of We've it be better? Start Absolutely. Mm. But these We've are big, start somewhere. These I get are that. important pieces of the puzzle. Well, no one knows about them. We need to support them. Whose job is it to make people know about this? You know, you you were talking about think tanks, talking about civic participation. Whose job is it to get people to know about it? People aren't in libraries digging up this kind of shit. No, I think it's, it's, it's this is what I think what you guys are doing is great. I mean, I think it, it is the work of journalists. I think the, the, the journalists should be finding out the stuff. And, 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 Please, they're and, too busy and reporting on biggest, Dr. Matthew on news. <laughs> what, uh, what one news of the biggest again. media houses is busy with VSPs as we speak. Some senior journalists taking out their pensions and walking away. We are, the the right. newsroom in South Africa is right. the Hold bottom out. of the barrel. So that's why the kind of work that I do, I think, is important. We're kind of a, 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 a piece of the cog the, to share. Because the stuff is incredibly technical. Sometimes it's really, really technical. So All to right. share, to make technical stuff uh, digestible, understandable in, in, in a more public forum, which I hope I'm doing, by the way. No, you are. Listen, and, and I do think the work that you're doing is massively important. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had you here in the first place. The problem is to try and make this stuff easy easy to understand. And I don't mean uh, – uh, let, me, let me not – make any bones about this we have to dumb everything down to the nth degree because we've realized people don't even understand in basic civic terms the mean the need to vote uh, how government works uh, how, how how what the differences are between the branches of government for god's sake people know nothing about this stuff so when we get into complicated <laughs> things like public service administration and i know that there are people studying this at university but often those people come out of the universities without any real understanding of how it should be applied. Because, again, it's theoretical based on systems that aren't actually in practical use anywhere in the world today. Okay, let me give you an example which, the, which Bussani uses. <laughs> no, let's, let's, take, let's take it to – you have a car? You have a car? Yeah. Do you drive a car? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how, did you become, how, did you, how did you get to drive a car? What, do you know anything about cars? A lot, actually. Do you? Yeah, I'm okay, a little bit of a geek. I'm a bad example. I drive, I'm a okay, bit of okay. a geek. Gareth, do you, do you know anything about cars? No. Okay, okay. But you drive one. Not enough. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so you're, you're the politician. You drive the car. No. Driving the car is like setting the policy, the, way, the direction of the car. Sure. Okay, so you want to go. more about where you're going than the vehicle. Okay. Do you know anything about how engines work or changing a tire or anything like that? I could not fix it if it was broken. But you know how it works? Uh, more or less. Okay, maybe Internal we should, combustion. Maybe we let's should use, use me you. as an example. Let's then. use you. I can drive a car. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can't change your I tire. think I could probably find the lever to open the bonnet if I have to. Fair enough. Uh, and that's where my skills end. What we've currently got now is people like me who can set policy, the direction of the car, mm -hmm. who are also charged and play a huge role in selecting the people that must fix the car, not only selecting the people that must fix the car, but that must also decide what to fix and how to do it and what tools they must use. That is the, currently the situation which we currently have. I think you give them too much credit. 
<laughs> because <laughs> no, because because that's I, great. I, wow. I actually no, that's the that's the sad reality. And feel free to climb in here, Pums, if you if you disagree with me or anyone in the comment section. But I think we've actually got people who are not who licensed to, to drive. drive the car, who have <laughs> stolen the car. <laughs> who leave the car burning on the side. And we see this in South Africa. We're the only country that I've been to in a long time and I've traveled fairly widely where you see abandoned cars on the sides of national highways with no driver anywhere to be found that have run out into the fields because they're so completely confused about what to do with the car because maybe the lights are gone on. Looks like it's going to explode. Who knows? Okay. That's the, I, look, think I think you would I think, be, I think you ESCOM looks fantastically like, look, welcome. ESCOM looks a little bit like that. Transnet <laughs> definitely looks like that. I think a lot of ISOEs look like that. Not everywhere looks like that, but yeah. Yeah, so it's a mixture. But so that is do the we general, need, okay, so yeah. do we need more Ivers who can choose the direction and the destination? Or do we need more people who can actually fix the internal combustion engine? Or do we need people who can just maintain the internal combustion engine? So I think, strangely enough, we've got a quite a good – our political system, dem, our democracy is actually working quite well. We have uh, the declining uh, – the, the sort of coming to the end of a sort of a one-party dominant system. Mm -hmm. Our political system is becoming more competitive, unambiguously. There's even – I mean, there's, there are even polls which seem to suggest that a coalition government at a national level is is fees, is, is possible. Mm, um, okay. Right, it's yeah, an argument good. which we begin sure. to have. It was, it's going to come anyway. We just got to get ready for it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's coming. It looks like <laughs> uh, the NC could well lose Gauteng and KwaZulu in 2024, which means three provinces will be out of, the, out, of the, out of their control. So in terms of deciding who are the drivers of the car, um, I think our, our country is working fairly well. Can I show you what the car looks like, by the way? Uh, show, show him this, Pumi. You there, have, there's you, the car. You have, let me you, see the car. You know let me see the car. Uh, that's the car that we You know what you have done? Oh, that's a lot better than the car you, you described earlier, it's, burning and crashed on the side of the road. That car looks like wheels. And I like that car. You have sent Gareth down <laughs> a rabbit hole. Oh, 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 oh sorry. But I do, okay, Gareth, stop distracting Ivo. I'm sorry. He's easily distracted, Ivo, so stop distracting Ivo. You, and you were saying we surprisingly have... Enough of the right kind of people choosing the car? Well, listen, this is demo democracies are messy things. Uh, like sausage making. I, I've never made sausages, but uh, <laughs> take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> take your word for it. Um, you know, we, in a democracy, you, the people that drive the car are the people we choose as, as, a vo as voters. We've, mm -hmm. got a, we've got an increasingly competitive, robust uh, electoral system. We don't have people saying we don't believe in democracy at that level in, uh, so much. We have it's, – it's, 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 it's the people – the process for selecting the driver of the car I think is working in South Africa. The issue, though, is is your guys around <clears throat> the rules as to who opens the bonnet mm -hmm. and who gets to muddle around in the, in the, in the engine. Mm-hmm. There we have the current rules, which says the drivers yeah. are the guys that get to open the bonnet and meddle or must mess around in, 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 in the engine. Those rules have to change. And one of those rules is currently before Parliament. It's the Amendment to the Public Service Act. Great. We've also got another rule, which says not only must the politicians not get to decide who muddles around in, in, in the engine, but now that's starting to say, well, let's get some professionals to muddle around in the engine. Let's get mechanics. Yes. Let's get people that can plug, I don't know, plug cars into computers and do the diagnostics and which, work out. Which, again, I hate to say, but this comes back to my point initially about merit. Because at the foundational level, you've got a, an either a belief in merit, like a mechanic has to know how to fix an engine, 
Or you have the ANC's ideological approach, which is that anyone could fix the engine. It's just a question of the systems that have delivered certain people with the rights and privileges to fix the engine and other things which have not. Because that's what they genuinely believe. I think there has been a sense for a long time that actually skill doesn't really skills skills not yeah, really not really skills not really such a big deal. Um, there's a there was a very good piece of work done. Uh, oh, it's a long time ago now on on nurses in Baraguanath in Baraguanath Hospital, and the expression that was used was that they were ambivalent to skill. Why? Because during the apartheid period, the apartheid hospital system and general educational system. Uh, used skill as a kind of stick to beat black nurses. Right. You could never be as skilled as a white nurse. Mm. So it produced That's the same thing that happened to teachers. Exactly. Mm. Same as in teachers, in policing, across the South African, yeah. uh, across the border. Black professionals were always regarded, oh, black professional, how, how laughable, how ridiculous, what a crazy idea. Because yeah, it was openly yes, you racist. Could, and, you yeah, could, uh, complete sure. racism. You could, yeah. oh, yes, let them muddle around on a couple of things, but the real professionals, of course, were always white. And the argument goes, well, the argument went that what this produced was an ambivalence to skill. And that, that would have reinforced with white people the idea that black people are incompetent too. So absolutely. it would have built resentments on both sides. Absolutely, sure. absolutely. So cool. this question of skill is, has, a, has, a, has, a, has, a, has a difficult pol- a political history. So when you invoke merit all the time, I think for a long time people heard this was a kind of a racist language for excluding black people. Sure. But, but now, after some 30 years… Have we made any progress there? Because if we don't make progress there, then how can we possibly make progress in finding the mechanics for the car? So we've unambiguously made progress in that regard because if you look at the professionalization framework, it's got a long, crazy name, which I, which it's called the professionalization of the public sector. Don't even worry yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says unambiguously the purpose of the professionalization framework is to select public service on the basis of merit, to introduce a meritocratic public service. So That's the argument there has been won. The word's there. Okay. Uh, it, it also okay. talks about professionalizing and depoliticizing, if I, can, if I, if I remember correctly. That would be fantastic. So at the, language, at the, at the level of language, yeah. that argument's been won. The framework was approved by Cabinet in 2021. No, it was, a, was put on, emerged in 2021. It was approved by Cabinet in September 2022. Okay. So the language is formally part of a now our political language. So um, is this a so we're back to the issue of implementation. So now we have to be, yeah. And the way we get it implemented is by having these sorts of conversations so that people in their homes, when you're thinking about South Africa, let's have these sorts of conversations. Are, is, the, is the municipality, are they appointing, how many engineers have they got in their, de- in, in their water department or their electricity, electricity? Let's ask those sorts of questions. Who, who is, who, let's ask the practical questions. Honestly, how many engineers in the, in the, in, in the Joburg municipality? Or in, uh, well, uh, I'd just like to know town planners. Town like planners. Who approves, who approves so guys, that exactly. like who mess are, that's up to so so These are the kinds of questions. Who yeah. are the people that are fixing our roads or not fixing our roads? Well, we, kn- we know who they are because if you watched yesterday's news, there was a segment on water. You're about to be switched off if you're in Johannesburg again because they have very, very low levels of water in our reservoirs which is an engineering problem, which can be solved by engineers. This is something which practical scientific people can do. doesn't require any policy wonks at all. It's just making sure that the reservoirs are full. Now, if you looked at the meeting that was being held that they showed on TV, on Zoom, you could see who was in the meeting. There were like 30 people there. I guarantee you maybe one or two of them were engineers and the rest were all placeholders who were being paid money to sit there. Who knows what they do? I can 
pretty much be sure, and this is why I'm not afraid to say it here, that most of those people have no idea why they're there. So what I've also heard in this conversation, it, uh, slightly, and I'm sorry, Gareth, but I do have to bring the Dr. Matthew Lani story back <laughs> to the table, Go on. is because what that story is also about is it's about the countless number of people who have been revealed to be lying about what their qualifications are. You know, I think about the, the guy who was the former C, CEO of the JRA, for instance, who also, so so the words are there, the, mm -hmm. the implementation and the professionalization, the words are there, but people have bogus certificates. People, and because of, of I'm willing to pay you a little extra, I'll pay you 10% of my salary for the next five years if you, in HR, get me into this job, wada, 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 wada. You know, there, there's... All of these things, what I'm also hearing in this conversation, which you haven't said explicitly, Ivo, is that we, we also have a situation in our country that requires more people to be willing to be that last line, more people to be willing to be professionals. So if you're in the job already, if you are a teacher, if you are a nurse, if you are an HR professional, it's for you to be a good South African citizen and put the country first before yourself and your pocket. So this is what uh, uh, Professor Masira Mule is constantly on about, around professionalization as a certain kind of value, a certain commitment to job, et cetera, et cetera. There's a third piece though, and this is where, you know, if you can bear my stories, um, I'll tell you another story. It's the third piece. So I, what, I've said, what I've said to you now is that there are two pieces of the puzzle that, that are on, on the table. Now there's a mixed metaphor for you. They're so, not in place, but they're on the table. They're on the table, exactly. <laughs> oh, I like that. You've saved my metaphor. You've saved my metaphor. Thank you so much. That's very, that's uh, how I I'm also you. very good at puzzling. Uh, <laughs> wow, enormous, amazing skills. So, we, as I've said, we've got this amendment to the Public Service Act, which would take the powers of politicians, would reduce the discretion of politicians in key areas. That's great. If it, if it goes through. If it goes through. Sure. We've got a professionalization framework, which does, does a couple of good things for improving merit, Sure. Merit selection in the, the language is if good. We approve if it's, of that. If it's implemented, mm -hmm. okay. Sure. So we've got two pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. The third piece of the puzzle is what you're talking about: is accountability. Is yeah. around right. So here's an interesting story. <clears throat> Again, a kind of story which you know no one in South Africa has heard, perhaps, or or thinks about. Go on. We have something called the Public Service Commission. Does that name ring yes. a bell? Public Service Commission. Yes. Ever heard of it? Yes. Okay. Public Service Commission uh, is a feature of the sort of British system. All the Commonwealth countries have public service commissions or civil service commissions. <laughs> and essentially, from the 1970s, the Public Service Commission in South Africa functioned as a big, big, big kind of central HR department. Uh, so, if you applied for a job, the Public Service Commission vetted your application. It checked your it checked your CV. Uh, it did all that kind of uh, vetting, or did all that kind of checking, uh, and it even from the 1970s, it, it, its power even went further. It actually would make it would actually very strongly suggest who the appoint or who the appointee would should be. It, it, it a very, had a very strong power in this regard. In 1997, we abolished the powers of the Public Service Commission. We took them away. It was in line with this kind of new happy theory of management that actually all those decisions should go back to senior McKinsey. officials inside the departments. McKinsey and Bain. 
Mm. It's not them in particular, but it's that new ethos of management. Uh, what we don't, we don't want bureaucrats in our departments. We want managers. Managers need to have discretion. Um, so even though you tied managers' hands behind their backs because actually the real power lay with politicians, ostensibly you gave them uh, autonomy to make decisions. Uh, and therefore you didn't, and especially around recruitment. It was a crazy, we have this fundamental contradiction in the, in the structure of our, in our public service. On the one hand, we give from the, the Public Finance Management Act of 1999, we give senior officials huge discretion over financial decisions mm -hmm. uh, and decision and ostensibly decisions around who to appoint and, and how to structure departments. But actually, we tie their hands behind their backs because it's actually the politicians that have the have those powers, mm -hmm. and it creates this fundamental contradiction in departments and often huge conflicts in, in inside departments over over over, over the as, exercise as, of those as, as a result, the same thing we have in the pub in the private sector where you have people who are paralyzed with indecision. Because they're so terrified they're going to be shat on that they'd rather do nothing than do something. So, and so you have no action at all. So there's the big issue. It's the, it's not so much the incompetence. It's that the no decisions get made. So we completely yeah. lament the lack of implementation. It's because everybody's terrified to make decisions because actually no one knows who the, who, who's got the power to make decisions. So this is constant. Our, our, our departments, I don't think you understand, our departments are battlefields over, over who's – Who's got what powers? Mm -hmm. So the third piece of the puzzle we're suggesting is to return to the Public Service Commission its historical powers to vet appointments. Um, like the Judicial so Services Commission does in the judiciary. Back to politicians. Maybe not a great example. Not a good example by any yes, stretch of the imagination, yes. but, but better than the president just willy-nilly deciding. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. the idea would be that the Public Service Commission constituted as an independent body were with uh, protected from the ability to, for politi pol pol politicians to capture it as an independent agent to vet appointments to, to say okay so this is what your CV says let's check whether these actually oh, you say you've got a you've got a PhD in engineering remember remember Prasa remember our our, our, our hey, trains man. Uh, do you have a PhD in engineering well actually it turns out you've got a matric also actually, he was a doctor that guy yeah, <laughs> he also yeah, was yeah. telling people he's a doctor yeah. so, well, you That's know why this is happening, right? This, is, this came out in the Dr. Matthew discussion too. The reason people are lying about being doctors and professors is because also we're a society that puts an enormous amount of weight on credentialism as opposed to actual practical experience and results. We're not actually interested in results in this country. We're just interested in the piece of paper that says you're qualified for X, Y, or Z. And a lot of our universities make it very easy for bullshitters to make themselves available to this system and then to advance their own personal careers post having that qualification or that credential. Yeah. So we think that there's a, that this is the third piece of the puzzle that needs to be, that needs to be put in place. It's not in place currently. There's a proposal to amend the, to change the public service commission act, but I don't think it goes, it goes in the right direction. It goes far enough in the right, in the, in the right direction. So I think the two pieces of the puzzle are in place we need this third piece, the third third piece of, of the puzzle so as where, well. So where are we in this long and snaking road as well? Because we know that, that policies and acts and white papers and green papers and blue papers and Bills. Blah, 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 it, can, it can also wind. It's a long and winding road that can take 10 years. It can take forever. It, if we, it can take forever. <laughs> if we, a general public in South Africa, don't understand the importance of these issues, and we don't, uh, we don't mobilize to support them, then they will never happen. But if we do, then there's a better chance they were happening. If we're reporting them in the media, if, we, if civil society organizations are taking it up in their activism, 
if we're asking questions in parliament, if we're asking political parties, guys, great, love your stuff on economic policy, whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see that. I would, wouldn't you but love let's to see your, what is your policy on public service reform? Excuse um, me. So I, are we asking all our listeners today, all of the 500 people here live listening to us today and all of the individuals who download this podcast and listen to it later to call their public representative and say, hey, you. Mr. So-and-so. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that wouldn't you be... love it? I mean, wouldn't it just be the most beautiful thing in the world, Ivor? If someone had to stand up at one of these rallies where these politicians are allowed to just talk and never answer anything, say to them, hey, what do you think of the public services amendment bill? What do you actually believe the positive and negative consequences of that bill being passed as an act might have on the public service? And they'll all stand there, whether it's Julius Malema, Cyril Ramaphosa, John Steenhuisen, They'll all stand there with a mouthful of teeth because I guarantee you they're not briefed on this. They're briefed in rhetoric. So Challenge wouldn't, them. Wouldn't ask it, them. So if one of the consequences of your of this of this program and this podcast is precisely what you're suggesting, people phoning up their reps or or, yeah. or, or political meetings saying, "Hey guys, we know the professionalization framework. What's your what's your position on it? Can you can you explain the professionalization <laughs> framework to me? What's the party's position on?" What a breakthrough. That would be like an incredible breakthrough. What's your position on the public plus, service? Yeah. Plus, I have to say, it would also show you very quickly that your politicians are as shallow as can possibly be because they probably won't have an answer. But at least then you know what you're voting for if you vote for them. Well, it also might push them to go and find out. Yes, so, we hope. We hope. We live in eternal hope. Listen, you know, you, you, don't be, <laughs> uh, you know, I got invited to Action, 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 maybe I'm... No, go action, action SA had a, had a policy conference and they invited me to come and address their, 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 um, mm. their, their members. Was it know. fantastic? Exciting beyond. <laughs> I tell you, one thing, they had the the, the 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 visuals were good. It was all in green. It was pretty spectacular. Funnily enough, I'll tell you another funny thing. When when we did the betrayal of the promise report, uh, which was pretty wild stuff, the Communist Party invited me to present it to their fifty third national convention, which uh. was held in Benoni in the same in the same venue as Action SA was having their uh, okay. and their manifesto launch. So it was like five, six years later. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, when I presented to the Communist Party, this was in 2018, just after we had, 2017, just after we had published the report, there were, I don't know how many thousand delegates. They were very, very quiet. And when they learned the details of what we had found around uh, ESCOM, et cetera, you could hear the gasps, absolute gasps. And after that, the Communist Party broke essentially with the uh, with the ANC. So but, th these things bring yeah. about actual you change. You say that I was actually when we were talking about Doctor Blayton Zimande a little bit earlier because he used to be the General Secretary. I just and I just looked him up, and one of the things that stood out for me is that it says under party it says he is an ANC member, and I had a moment to kind of double take that. And apparently, since twenty twenty two is when he gave up that. Communist Party. Communist Party. That's what it says on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he played, I mean, the Communist Party had been quite uh, central in the support of Zuma in the early days, but they played a big part. They were a big part of the kind of, of, of turning against Zuma. They turned very strongly against him. I remember at that Congress, there was a minister of trade and industry, I think it was. Rob Davies mm -hmm. sitting down at the table. He was, <laughs> wow. he was, he was so angry because they had been working on a locomotives deal mm -hmm. to have locomotives ma locally manufactured. Mm -hmm. And what had the state capture guys done? They'd done this deal with the Chinese, mm -hmm. uh, and it had completely undermined all their localization efforts. He was absolutely livid. 
when we presented that report, people were blown away by actually what was going on. They were using the language of radical economic transformation, etc. But the actual content of it was the complete demolition of, of key state institutions like, like ESCOM. And the scale of, of, of looting was just, was just incredible. So, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, because we've been talking a lot about the US. A friend of mine's just sent me a, 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 a WhatsApp mm-hmm. about the fact that the first time the Civil Service Commission was actually passed in Congress, the initial legislation passed in Congress in America was by Ulysses Grant, that president. A lot of people don't know that name. Uh, in Wait, 1871. After Lincoln, he was president. In 1871. It's interesting that it took them up until the 20s to get that right. So the 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 the, the Pendleton Act is is in, is in that period, but the stuff it takes a long time for implementation. Can I turn away from your area of specialization here and just ask you guys about a very important story that was in the news yesterday? And don't look at me like that, Pumi. Uh, there's a deal that's been done with the police. And Virgin Active and Planet Fitness. Hey! Hold on. I just want to point out. All this these is, years after stomach in and chest out, all they finally later. have gym memberships. So they're giving the police a 20% uh, rebate, essentially, if you want to join a Virgin Active or a Planet Fitness. So hopefully we all see lots more police in our gyms. You know what I, I wondered about I would welcome that. that with open arms. What I wondered about that is who's getting this, who's, who's paying for that gym membership? No, so you will still have to pay. I don't know if it's the police who pay or the, the police individual person, police the person, but they will get twenty percent off, which I'm very happy with. Whether you know, I'm a I'm a gym user. I, I'm with one of those two big gyms. Don't mind. I'd like to see more police there, wouldn't you, Ivor? Isn't that just great news? I think this is to the um. point that Ivor was making that sometimes these things take years to put into implementation. All these many years. Do you remember when Begitzele first said that mm. stomach in chest out? 1883 to the 1920s, it's 40 years. Yeah. In the, in the broad span of history, it's not that long. 40 years. Uh, we are, we, we're in a democracy for 30 years. We're at, a, we're at this point which has taken the U.S., well, 200 years to get to and then 40 years to implement, uh, to begin implementing. We're at that point after only 30 years of democracy – I think we shouldn't be so no. hard on ourselves. We, no, uh, that's no, no, no. quite that's quite impressive. And, and except, look, at, in one aspect, it is <laughs> impressive, but I do hope it doesn't take us forty years to implement because yeah. our country cannot take that. But this is the thing, though, about previous prior learning and experience is we don't have to make the we do not have to make the same mistakes that the oldest democracy in the world has made we can definitely learn from those past mistakes and just fix it from the get-go hallelujah and i think so this is where i think this 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 overcoming the parochialism of south africans conversation is so important learning from the rest of the world opening up that the africa's got important experiences to share with us other parts of the world have got important experience experiences to share with us learning this is why i think it's so important for 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 us to open our eyes and to and and and, and to look around us and i mm-hmm. think that's what we haven't been doing is that we have a tremendous tendency to think you know look look, in, look internally only uh, for, for 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 solutions well i'm very glad you were here with us today and thank you i hope you got uh, to to detail at least a proportion of the things that you're doing because i think these are valuable discussions and i do wish people would go to political meetings and ask the questions that you're asking and that you're telling us to ask this morning because mm-hmm. how else are we going to make things better we're not going to do it by shouting stupid slogans about lang- land and and nationalization 
or race politics. Because if we haven't evolved beyond that to the next level of questioning, we're always going to end up with the quality of leaders that we've currently got. And they'll never be challenged to answer bigger or more more exciting questions than that, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. this is about lifting the... Uh, lifting the quality of, 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 of discussion in South Africa. Let's get into the details. Spot on, spot and, and, and when you look at the details, then you realize, start seeing that they actually, uh, there are ways through the gloom. Mm. Uh, there are ways through the despair. Um, and this is what I think the, the, the great opportunities are. So go out there, ask your, ask your, 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 your member of parliament, uh, speak up political parties, ask these sorts of questions. Uh, what do they think about the Public Service Amendment Bill? Are they supporting it? Uh, what do they think about the professionalization framework? What do they think about the reform pros- proposals around the Public Service Commission? Uh, what do they think about uh, the, the public administration questions in the police, in, the, in, in, in health, etc., etc.? Ask those questions, people. Those are the questions to ask. Just after liking and subscribing. Just there after liking yeah, and do subscribing. do that as well. We Phone your always. public representative and ask them all of these yeah. questions. All right. Thank you very much much to Ivor Chipkin. Thank you very much to Pumi Mashiro. And most importantly, thank you to you. You can join us tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. You can always listen to this episode and all the other parts of the Burning Platform that you may have missed over the last couple of weeks. We try to bring you the most interesting thinkers we can find in the country, people who are doing the uh, heavy lifting in the case of so many of our guests and also the politicians themselves. There are going to be a lot of those on the show as we head towards the election, whether you like it or not. Right, Pumi? Yay. I'm afraid we might have to ask Busani to join us one of these days. Well, that might not be a bad idea. And he's welcome. He's welcome. And it won't be a hostile reception. It never is. That's my whole point, is that uh, all these uh, these political actors are going to have an impact on our lives. So we would rather hear from them than not. Well, Ivo, I told you when you walked in, I'm glad that it was this Ivo that walked in through this door today. Mm. Well, I, and I'm not any less glad. Well, thank you very much. And I'm very <laughs> glad that after a segment on penis size and enlargement, <laughs> we were able to have a, a meaningful conversation. Yeah, so no. that says that this, oh. you see me making public service, uh, public it's administration sexy. interesting. Sexy, well, there we yeah. are. There we are. Uh, that's an achievement. We can turn on a dime on this yeah, show. Yeah, All that's right. amazing. That's, an, that's a skill. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. We will see you tomorrow. Uh, be good. Have an excellent Thursday. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye. Cliffcentral.com.